Let's turn our Bibles, please, to Ezra chapter 9. And I understand you've been working through this portion of God's Word, and today we'll look and give an overview of these two final chapters of the book of Ezra. While you're turning in your Bibles, it's nice to have Ashish and his wife Mary with us. Ashish has been helping us out uh, in ministry uh, concerns with Know the Word. We had a men's conference yesterday at Woodside Chapel. Uh, We were blessed with that uh, time of fellowship and ministry from God's word. And this week, we'll be involved with a conference down at America's Keswick called Feeding the Flock. And if you are not familiar with it, you can come online and take in all the meetings. We have a number of speakers from around the country that you can uh, see by way of YouTube. But if you'd like to take the simple drive down the parkway, you can get to America's Keswick and join us either for the week or for an overnight or even for just the day. Come in and get meetings and meals. There's a package like that. We'd love to have you come. There's a number of people who are signed up that'll be in person. There are speakers that are in person. There are people that are online and there are speakers online from Canada, from Montana, from Missouri, a lot of those different places. And we'd love to have you there. So if you could join us, let us know. We have a schedule here. We'll make sure we leave it behind. So you can see what time those meetings are. Now, Ezra chapter nine is a, the beginning of the conclusion of this account of the second return of the nation of Israel to Jerusalem. If you know anything on your Bible history, after the 70 year captivity in Babylon called the 70 year uh, captivity, that was the second one in Israel's history. uh, God raised up Cyrus, the Persian and allowed in a very lenient way uh, for the nation of Israel to return. And so they came back, uh, a number of them came back, not all, but a number of them. And uh, they saw the ruins of the temple. They saw the ruins of Jerusalem. The walls were broken down. Uh, It was a joyous occasion that they came back, but it was also bittersweet because they saw the ruin that the nation uh, and particularly uh, Jerusalem was in. So that began the project of rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the walls. That, of course, was the project of Nehemiah. And Ezra was part of the second return. So the first half, and and a lot of you folks already know this because you've been studying the portion. The first half of the book of Ezra deals with the first return. The second half, obviously, the second return. And so these events fall under the time of Ezra, who was part of that second return. And beginning at verse 1 of chapter 9, it reads, when these things were done, that is uh, some uh, actions taking place. We'll talk about that in a moment. It says the leaders came to me saying the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons so that the holy seed is mixed with the peoples of those lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and the rulers has been foremost in this trespass. So when I heard this thing, I tore my garment, this is Ezra speaking, and my robe and plucked out some of the hair of my head and beard and sat down astonished. When Then everyone who trembled at the words of God of Israel assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive, and I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. And then we'll continue with verse five, right down to uh, verse nine. At the evening sacrifice, I arose and for my fasting, having torn my garment and my robe, I fell on my knees 
and spread out my hands to the Lord, my God. And I said, oh, my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you. My God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. Since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been very guilty. And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, and to humiliation, as it is this day. And these wonderful words here in verse 8. And now for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant, to escape, and to give us a peg in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. For we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage, but he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to revive us, to repair the house of our God, and to rebuild its ruins and give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And God will certainly bless the reading and obedience to his word. Well, that's the uh, prayer of confession by Ezra. There are a number of great prayers of confession. We see it in Daniel's case. We see it in Nehemiah's case. Here we see it in Ezra's case. And he's confessing, even though these people that I just cited were probably the least guilty and the least people that needed confession, they were still confessing on behalf of the nation. And acknowledging the fact that the very reason that God had brought them into captivity was because they had gotten off course. They had lost their spiritual focus. They had allowed the world to influence them in their day to cause them to do things that disregard the word of God. And anytime there is disregard for the word of God, anytime there's a allowance of the world's ways into our lives, there's going to be a widespread disregard for God's word. And God says that he's a jealous God. He wants us exclusively. There's no question about that. He knows it's the best thing for us to be focused on him. He knows the best life we could ever have is when he's at the center. And the nation of Israel knew this, but they got away from those truths. And because they allowed the world to come in, it took them away. And so because they disregarded the Sabbaths and keeping of uh, those Sabbaths and uh, through various means, uh, there was kind of a math equation involved with that. And God said, okay, for it, All that you have done, there's going to be 70 years where you're taken out of the land. And that's the captivity. Jeremiah warned about it in advance. They had time to correct their ways. God sent his prophets rising early, it says, and warning them. And yet they disregarded, they turned a deaf ear to God's word. And so they suffered the consequences. A lot of things that we do, it's really not so much God punishing as it is us suffering the consequences. He He says, you follow my way. And you'll, be, you'll feel the joy and the presence of the Lord. But if you don't follow my way and you listen to the things of the world, you're going to uh, really be smarting or hurting for that. And that's what happened with the nation of Israel. And so God allowed Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, chapter one, we read all about those events, allowed that king to come on in with his armies. And they just uh, took care of Jerusalem. And they took away the brightest and the best amongst the young people there. And they took them and reindoctrinated them toward the things of Babylon. You read the story, you know all about it. They gave him different names, but Daniel stayed true. Those three men, they stayed true to the Lord. They stood out, they stood up, they stood with each other in the midst of Babylon. 
and God honored them for that, even though they went through some trials, you know, about the fiery furnace and all the rest, but God was still with them. God gave them strength. And so that's what happens. We have always a remnant. God always has a remnant as he spoke about right here in these wonderful verses, eight and nine, speaking about God giving a remnant, even in the midst of bondage, God has his witness all around us. Acts chapter 14, God leaves himself not without witness. There is that core group that's going to stay true to him and really revitalize others to live for him as well. And so we have Ezra, the priest right here, confessing on behalf of the nation of Israel. There are a few things that I want to highlight in our time together about these two chapters. Now it's two chapters. You can read the portion on your own, but I want to just uh, kind of go over the top of it. And that was the problem. Of course, there was the ruin. The first thing I did it all in ours. So you could remember these uh, more easily, let's say. Uh, So there's the ruin. Whenever we get away from the word of the Lord, there's going to be some ruin in some ways in our lives. There's going to be Uh, bad memories. There's going to be heartache. There's going to be all sorts of things that come up because we get away from God's word. And so that's the ruin that they experienced here. And in this case, they had intermingled with the nations and adopted the abominations of the uh, nations around them. That's what verse one tells us. Look with me at verse one. It says the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites had not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and the Amorites. These were opposing nations. God had already judged these nations for their sins, their abominable sins that uh, they that characterized them. And yet the nation didn't learn, the nation of Israel didn't learn the lesson. And so they felt like, well, these are nations around. We want to be just like the nations. God had judged those nations, and yet the nation of Israel, for some reason, had blinders on and didn't realize that God had actively judged those nations, and yet the people of God saying, we want to be just like them. It's amazing how that can take place, but it does. And so uh, Ezra puts the finger right on the problem. He says in verse 2, they've taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons so that the holy seed is mixed with the peoples of those lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and rulers has been foremost in this trespass. When the leaders and rulers should be the example, they fell down. And the people are looking for the example of those leaders. And yet they were foremost. They weren't just tagging along. It says they were foremost in it. And then it says it's because the Holy Seed is mixed with the people of those lands. God looks at our responsibility in our families is to raise godly households that have a respect for the things of the Lord. And he refers to it here in verse two as holy seed, the family, the children. But God has his people in every place, as we mentioned. And so verse three, when I heard this thing, Ezra says, I tore my garment and my robe and plucked out some of the hair of my head and beard and sat down astonished. And I say to that, ouch. One time I can grow a beard, but I never have done it. Never had the bravery to do it. Brother Hashish's got a nice beard there. I don't think I can grow one like that. But I say that would hurt to pluck out the beard. But he was so taken in sorrow for violating, and probably not him, the people of Israel was was really the case, but he was still taken up, he felt uh, for his own people. And so he said, he says, 
that he sat down astonished, but that everyone, verse four, that trembled at the words of God uh, of Israel, the God of Israel, assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. There are those who still tremble at God's word in days in the day of Ezra. And there are some still here that do as well. And in our country, that's the remnant. God has always had a remnant, always. Through the ages, he has a remnant. People that tremble at God's word. That's what it tells us in the book of Isaiah, the final chapters of Isaiah, chapter 66. Who is the person I'm going to talk to? The person who trembles at my word, who has a respect for the word of God. That's the person that God's going to communicate with. That's the person that's going to be used by God in a special way. And that's the heart that God's people have to have individually. Yes. And obviously not the vast majority, even in our country today. But God has a remnant. He refers to this remnant. So the first thing that we see is the ruin. And then we see the, uh, the remnant that God is going to work through. First the ruin and then the remnant. And I might even add to this, uh, the word repentance, because we see Ezra repenting from these things. And he takes up that repentance, that confession. And he says in verse uh, five, at the evening sacrifice, I arose from my fasting. And having torn my garment, my robe, I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord, my God. And I said, oh, my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. And since the days of our fathers, verse seven, this day, we've been very guilty from our iniquities for our iniquities. We are kings, our priests, and have been delivered into the hand of the kings. He's doing the cause and effect. He says uh, to the kings of the land, to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, and to humiliation as it is this day. And he is citing the reason. It's not God's fault. It's theirs. And they're acknowledging this very fact. So he's grateful for it. And the words here is that he, that there was action taken far less than our guilt uh, has deserved. In other words, God was still kind. God had every right to punish them thoroughly. And he held back his hand in full punishment. Because he's the God of grace. And so Ezra identifies that very fact. So we see ruin. We see the remnant. We see the repentance of Ezra. We see the remnant. Verse 8 again. For a little while. That phrase in scripture, a little while. It's going on right now. Hebrews chapter 9. For yet a little while. Then he that shall come will come and will not tarry. It's a little while. It's always a little while. In the eyes of God, it's always a little while. He's got a broader view than we do. We think it's long. We see the effects of the pandemic. I'm still trying to figure out, get my hands around it. Why? What has it accomplished? What I mean, in the eyes of God, has there been something going on? Has there been a culling, a gleaning? I mean, I, I see the Zoom and I see the technology being utilized. It was all here, by the way, prior to 
the pandemic. We all know that, right? I look at it and I say, boy, there are opportunities that were there before the pandemic. Kind of hang my head a little bit in shame and say, why was I more aware of this on top of this? But as a result of pandemic, as horrible as the things have occurred because of the pandemic, people passing away and all the rest, there have been means by which we've connected around the world through different things and YouTube and Zoom and all the rest that has really, really been a benefit in some ways. But there has been a culling. A lot of church fellowships decimated in attendance. We have it in our meeting. See it all around as I travel around different places. But God has a remnant. And I love the phrase here in verse 8, don't you? He's given us a peg in this holy place. We might say a a foot in the door. He hasn't abandoned us. He's still working in grace and in power and majesty in his way. You remember the case of Elijah there on Mount Carmel? Great showdown, 1 Kings chapter 18 standing before all these false prophets and a tremendous victory for the Lord. And yet in the next chapter, he plummets to the nadir of uh, isolation and depression and discouragement. First Kings chapter 19. And he has it out with the Lord. And he says, Lord, there's, there's no one else who's serving you. Now he just had a great victory, you know, on top of a great victory, there's that trough, isn't there? discouragement that can come in flying that's what happened with elijah this great prophet of the lord the greatest perhaps that israel ever had and he's there arguing with the lord and he's saying there's no one else but me and then in a flip of emotion he's you know he said previously he said uh there's no use in living anymore you know i'm not as good as my father's wait a minute you're not as good as your father's and all of a sudden you're the greater than anybody else. I mean, this is the back and forth of self-talk and emotion during a time of discouragement. God had to remind him that he does his work in people's hearts and minds. And he says, there's 7,000 people that have not bowed the knee. You may not see it, but I see it. And I know what's going on. God was still fully in control. And so he makes that reference to the peg in the holy place. I love that phrase. That our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. There's the other R, revival. Because all it took here in this case was Ezra to confess and own up to it. And then there is another group that comes in. The ones that trembled at the words of God, verse 4. So now this remnant is beginning to expand. So it is Ezra, we see, and then we see the, those that tremble at his word. And so uh, Ezra brings it out and he confesses. He says in verse nine, we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage, but he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia, Persia, not even the nation of Israel. And God, through this Persian king, Cyrus, and further, allowed Israel to return. To do what? Look at all the R's in there. To revive. To repair the house of our God. To rebuild its ruins. 
and they give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. So back in 1993, we're involved in this conference called Missions 93. It was strategic in, I think, the history of the assemblies. We had it out in Cincinnati, and it was a large conference. We had thousand more, way more than a thousand people in attendance there. We had almost 2,000 people. And it was a great event. And from that spawned, of course, the Rise Up conferences that came afterwards all through the 90s and early twos. And uh, it was to say, let's rise up and build. That's exactly what was taking place in the days of Nehemiah and here again in Ezra. And God gives a remnant of his people. And it starts as a spark. And then it continues and it grows. And as God's people say, let's take action to cleanse Whatever needs to be cleansed out of our lives, God can use us again. He can restore the glory. And in the days of Ezra, and you can read about it in the earlier chapters, and you probably have already, as they were rebuilding the temple, it was a much smaller temple than what they remembered Solomon's temple being. And there is this mingled situation where there's crying and rejoicing at the same time. The younger generation, you've already had this uh, given to you, I'm sure, in the teaching, but just to review uh, the younger generation, they're rejoicing. Isn't this a great temple? And the older folks are looking at it and crying and saying, no, it's not as good as it used to be. And I'm starting to get the years uh, coming on, if you can't tell. And I can say, oh, the great years in the past, the VBSs that were overflowing and the meetings on Sunday and our sunrise service. In our town, we had a sunrise service and the community would flock in. We'd have multitudes at seven o'clock in the morning for the sunrise service. Tons of people from the community. Tons of people from the assembly. And as the years go on and the world has its effect through its movies and its TV and its music and everything else, well, you'd have to practically pay people to come out. At seven o'clock in the morning. And where's the community? There's there a few people maybe from the assembly. Got to shake them up, get them out of bed. Seven o'clock, let's put it to 7.30, maybe eight o'clock. Sunrise service at eight o'clock in the morning. Doesn't work all that well, does it? But you know, that's just showing that we have a tendency to go from the committed to the less committed. And that's how our lives are. And so there needs to be self-inventory. And that's what took place here with Ezra and the building of the uh, walls in uh, Nehemiah, especially in those early chapters in Nehemiah, they had to redo the sheep gate and they had to do the fish gate and they had to do the valley gate and they had to do the refuse gate and all these different gates. And each one of those gates would represent something significant in the life of the Christian. Worship, sheep were brought in through one of the gate for worship purposes. We need to repair the the aspect of worship in our own private lives. Then the fish gate reminds us of the words of Lord Jesus. I'll make you fishers of men. So the uh, responsibility, like it used to be in days of old, everyone had a desire and passion to serve the Lord and preach the gospel. That's the fish gate. And the refuse gate to clear out the things that are, are of refuse in our life that don't have any business being in our lives. And so on and so forth, all through those gates, wonderful spiritual lessons for the life of the believer. And Ezra here is uh, highlighting that and underscoring these very important principles of cleansing in order for revival to take place. 
to repair the house of our God. Again, verse nine, to rebuild its ruins and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And I've said it here, it might've been 20 years ago, 17, 18 years ago, verse from Psalm 112, verse four, God will give us light in the darkness unto the upright there arises light in the darkness darkness in the land covering the land like it was in egypt god says there's darkness gross darkness that can be felt that's what the verse says in exodus and we're in a land now all over our land there's gross darkness that could be felt but unto the upright, there arises light in the darkness. Psalm 112, verse 4. God has given them, these, the nation of Israel here in this case, in Ezra case, it's over and over again. We see it all through scripture. God gives light in the darkness. And he raises up a remnant and says, we will repair. We will rebuild. God will revive us through this remnant. Despite all our testimony in the past, God will do these things, but we need to be committed to it. And so in verse 13, just jumping in that same chapter, verse 13, after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, since you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve and have given us such deliverance as this. Verse 15, O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous. We are left as a remnant as it is this day. Here we are before you in our guilt, though no one can stand before you because of this. Chapter nine is a great chapter for us to go over in our own personal lives and say, is there something that applies to me here in this chapter? Well, then we come to chapter 10 and we see the reconciliation that takes place. It says in verse one, while Ezra was praying, while he was confessing, weeping, and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men and women and children gathered together from Israel, for the people wept very bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehaziel, one of the sons of Elam, spoke up and said to Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken pagan wives from the peoples of the land. And now, now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. God always gives hope in the midst of all this hardship. And so there is this additional group of people. It's growing. The revival is growing. Started with one, went on to a few more, and then to even more. So when this recon for this reconciliation to take place, there is responsibility. And so verse three, therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have taken have been born to them according to the advice of my master disregarded scripture altogether and that's what they're acknowledging and of those who trembled at the commandment of our god let it be done according to the law arise for this matter is your responsibility we also are with you be of good courage and do it nice simple no way you can mistake the charge right do it is a responsibility well, it brings to mind the words of uh, John chapter two, if you remember, when Mary said to the servants at the wedding 
at Cana of Galilee. Whatever he says to you, do it. Same phrase. And that's what all of us need to take self-inventory. For 50 people in a room, could be 50 different do-its. Whatever the Lord is speaking to you, according to his word, whatever he says to you, do it. If he's speaking to your heart through his spirit and telling you what is it in your life that needs to be corrected, whatever he says to you, do it. It is your responsibility. Arise for this matter. Verse four is your responsibility. We are, we also are with you. Be of good courage. God's people supporting, encouraging and fellowship. Whatever it is, be of good courage and do it. No question about it. And so therefore in this instance, it says in verse six, Ezra rose up from before the house of God, went into the chamber of Jehananan, the son of uh, Eliashib. And when he came there, he ate no bread and drank no water for he mourned because the guilt of those from the captivity. And they issued a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the descendants of the captivity that they must gather at Jerusalem. And they did gather at Jerusalem and they came in there and they actually stood in the rain doing it. Look with me at verse 11. Now, therefore, make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the pagan wives. Then all the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, yes, as we have said, we must do. So that's it. It went from whatever he says, do it. To now we must do this thing. They felt the importance of it. Look at this scene. It's so dramatic, in some ways poignant. It says in verse 13, but there are many people spreading. It is the season for heavy rain, and we're not able to stand outside in the rain, nor is this the work of one or two days, for there are many of us who have transgressed in this matter. There was sin there, and they knew that it was the work of God that was taking place, but it wasn't going to be done in the snap of a finger. You know, all of us want to quickly get back on track and make it a, a you know a minute thing. But there is there was deep dredging that had to take place in the lives of the people. And there might be deep dredging in our own lives to root out what's not there. And sometimes it's not just a matter of one or two days, as it says here in verse 13. It's going to take some time, but that shows our commitment, our desire to follow the Lord and to please him. And so they made a proclamation. Not everybody was in agreement with the proclamation. It goes on to say, and then they brought all these different people together and they inventoried everyone. And in verses 18, right to the very end of the chapter, there is a roster of people who were guilty of going against the word of God. But they were to make amends for it. Now there's one more R here. There would be a seventh R, but you don't see it listed. It's interesting how Ezra finishes his book. It says in verse 44, the last verse of this book and of this chapter, all these had taken pagan wives and some of them had wives by whom they had children. And that's the end of it, kind of hanging there. But I would like to think 
that when they did things according to God's will, there was rejoicing. Because that is really what happens. When our hearts are in line with the word of God, there is something liberating, something that comes out saying, I know that I'm in line with what God would want me to do. And it's freeing. It's liberating. And it causes rejoicing in the heart. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch coming out of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 8? And uh, Philip, the evangelist, comes up to him. And uh, he's able to determine that he's reading from Isaiah chapter 53. And this person with tremendous authority, financial uh, man from uh, under the uh, auspices of Queen Candice, the queen of Ethiopia, he's trying, he's laboring to try to understand what he's reading. No one, he can't figure it out. He says, how can anybody understand this thing unless someone helps him? And Philip took advantage because he was prompted by the spirit of God, catches up with this chariot, jumps in the chariot with him and begins explaining to him how it all applied to Christ. And then they come across some water and he says, what hinders me from being baptized? He gets down there and he gets baptized and he comes up and it says he went on his way rejoicing. That's what the gospel does in people's hearts who don't know Christ. They're rejoicing. And then there is rejoicing when we do things according to the will of God. They looked unto him and were radiant, Psalm 34 says, and their faces were not ashamed. When we do things according to the will of God and the word of God, there is the rejoicing, there is the freedom, there is the liberation that comes because we're doing what God would want us to do. And that's what God was speaking to his children, Israel here, doing through Ezra first and then the larger assembly and then in the even larger assembly identified the problem. They confessed, they weep, they acknowledged God's working through a remnant and then the revival that took place and the revival meant a responsibility to repair and to rebuild the ruins that were all around. And in some symbolic way, that's what happens in your life and in mine in a personal way. when we're doing things according to the will of God. And so God has given us a wonderful record right here in uh, Ezra chapter nine, verse 10, the root, the pathway, the personal revival. That's why the word of God is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Here it is, God's word speaking to you and to me this morning, March 13th, 2022. It'll be a day in church, changes it around in your own personal walk and your life with the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you again for your precious word. It does indeed speak to the matters of the heart. We ask, Father, that you would teach us through your word. Pray that your Holy Spirit will remind us of these truths as well. Thank you for your grace and for your goodness. We give thanks in our wonderful Savior's name, the Lord Jesus Christ.